0: Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 258. Today is February 11th, 2018. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, at the end of this week, we find ourselves in a full-blown correction. I'm gonna pick up on where I left off in the previous episode. I stick to the general thesis that I believe that we are still in a bull market This is a commodity-driven international expansion market that I think uh, we've hit a snag with. We've come out of the euphoria and excitement of a Trump tax cut. And the market was also anticipating his infrastructure and his military spend. And so there has been a lot of enthusiasm about a growing global economy, an economy that's in a situation where things are really pretty much in balance. Commodity prices are high enough to where producers of those products can make money, and at the same time, those same commodities are not priced so high that consumers of commodities can't afford to purchase them. A lot of people have been calling this a Goldilocks economy. Well, I don't know if things are just right, but as I dig down and as I look at the numbers, we are in a commodity sweet spot. Prices are not too high, prices are not too low. I want you to think back to 2008, which is the last time we had a real significant market meltdown, and not only a market meltdown, but really the worst market conditions since the depression of 1929. Now, we can go in and we can dissect that and say, well, that happened because of systemic problems within the financial system or the collapse of Lehman Brothers, or there was too much bad debt out there. You can dice that up a lot of different ways. But one way to look at that crisis is to look at it through the guise of commodities. And prior to any of the failures of the banking system, and what I believe actually was a cause of one of those failures, was the skyrocketing of commodity prices, particularly of oil. If you remember in 2008, oil hit an all-time peak. I believe it got up to about $148 a barrel. That was a tell that we were moving into some type of an economic crisis in the coming months and that it could lead to a major pullback in the stock markets. Now, I didn't have a podcast back in those days, so I can't document as to what I was thinking back then. But I can reference to you what I was thinking in 2015 and 2016 when we saw the exact inversion of that phenomena when instead of having sky-high oil prices... We were living through the exact opposite of that, and it was a collapse of commodity prices and specifically of oil prices. And you'll remember back in 2015 and 2016, I was very nervous. I was concerned then because I was worried that that collapse in oil prices could create a default among energy producers. You see, that was a situation when we had an imbalance in commodities, just like we had an imbalance in commodities, which led, or at least was one of the reasons I believe that led to the financial crisis of 2008. They were just polar opposites. In 2008... We had conditions that favored commodity producers and while the energy companies were making a lot of money with oil up at $148 a barrel, consumers couldn't afford to fill their tanks and they had to choose between where they would spend their discretionary money. Would they fill up their tank or would they go to McDonald's for lunch? That created a crunch in the economy. Commodities were out of balance. Likewise, in 2015 and 2016, commodities were out of balance the other way. It was great for consumers. People could easily fill up their gas tank and have lots of money left over to buy other things. But when the price of oil got too low, it led to the possibility that commodity producers would default on their debt. And the reason that's bad news is because that debt is owned by all the major financial institutions, including things like your pension. Now it's not always oil, that's why copper is something that I track quite closely and was definitely something I was looking at last week as I watched it fall all week. Copper kept closing lower, I believe the last time I looked at it, it was something like $3.03 a pound. Now that gets back to why I don't believe that we're headed to a major bear market, because we're seeing commodity prices like copper starting to fall precipitously. And if we were headed into some type of hyperinflation, you'd be seeing the exact opposite. Copper prices, gold prices, iron ore, steel, gasoline, everything would be going up if we were in an inflationary environment. But I don't see that happening. I see commodity prices either stabilizing or coming down. And the reason that's important is because that goes against the argument for the current correction that we're in. You'll remember Friday a week ago when the jobs report came out. The big fear was that wages were increasing and unemployment was too low, right? This was good news for Main Street and that meant bad news for Wall Street because labor costs would be going up and the Federal Reserve would have to raise interest rates to cool off the economy. Well, both the fact of increasing wages and increasing borrowing costs would have a downward effect on corporate profits and so that's why we got the initial sell-off a week ago. I don't believe we're going to see wage inflation without seeing a corresponding inflation in other areas of the economy, like the commodities. So even if we do see wages rise up a little bit, which I don't think we're seeing, those increases could still be offset by the lower prices in commodities, and I think even more importantly, by the effects of technology, because the biggest reason that wages are being held down is because of automation. I wrote a whole book on that. The robots are coming. If you haven't checked it out, you should do that. There's a link in today's show notes. But I digress. Here's the bottom line. I don't think we're headed to a market collapse or a bear market because I don't believe the price, inflationary, high-yield narrative. And so that takes us to what I said at the end of episode 257 where I said, watch the moving averages. I was fairly optimistic that we might just bounce off the 50-day moving average and move on, call that a low, and be done with this. But I said, that may not happen. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But I think it would be likely to get support at the 200-day moving. But in any case, watch those key moving averages, the 50 and the 200-day moving average, because they can't predict the future, but they can help you understand where you are in the current trend and cycle. And anytime time you get support at those levels... By definition, that means that institutional buyers have come in, they've purchased the stocks at those lower prices when they're on sale, and therefore you've hit a low. And the market is going to eventually go on to all-time new highs. We can't predict the future by looking at a chart. We can simply use that chart as a tool, one of our many tools, to understand where we are. So what you do is you watch those charts and you see if these areas of support hold up or not. You're watching these charts not to predict the future, but so you can understand where you are in the cycle. Now, as to the main point of today's episode, which is buying the dip in an up market, I want to specifically highlight the fact that I'm talking about in an up market. If I thought we were headed into a down market, some type of a secular bear market was about to occur, then I would have no problem going to cash or some type of cash equivalent. But I don't think that's what's happening for what I've already previously stated. I think we're in an up market. And so whenever you're in an up market, a smart strategy is to buy the dip. It's going to last a few days, a few weeks, probably less than a few months. And the reason for that is because you're in an up market. And so since I believe that we're in an up market, what did I do this past week? Well, I bought in on some of those dips. Well, I started out by watching the markets on Monday. I knew they would be very turbulent and a lot of volatility because people had heard all weekend how the market had come down on the previous Friday. That was likely to make them nervous. And so there would probably be a lot of selling. And that's exactly what happened. And while I thought that it was likely that the S&P 500 could bounce off its 50-day moving average, it didn't. It dropped hard below its 50-day moving average. But at the same time, it did not breach its 100-day moving average That was important in my overall analysis as I watched that very turbulent market on Monday. But something else stood out to me, and that's that emerging markets did find support at their 50-day moving average. Now, emerging markets, international markets in general, and emerging markets specifically are a key part of my portfolio going back for the last year. And so when I saw that emerging markets were holding on their 50-day moving average, I went in late in the day on Monday, and I added to my positions in emerging markets and in international markets. If you subscribe to the free alerts over at investablewealth.com, then you would have received that notification late Monday afternoon. Now, what happened on Tuesday? On Tuesday, there was still a great deal of turbulence. The emerging markets opened exactly right up at the beginning of the trading session. They opened exactly on their 50-day moving average they held that and actually closed the end of the day up quite significantly. The S&P 500 opened up that morning below its 100-day moving average, but it recovered and it ended up closing the day just below its 50-day moving average. So based on that information, at the end of the day on Tuesday, I made two additional purchases because it looked to me like we were seeing these markets get support at either their 50- or 100-day moving average. And so I went in and added to two more key positions in my portfolio, and that was purchasing healthcare and banking sector ETFs. And again, those notices went out to those of you that subscribe to the free alerts over at investablewealth.com. During the trading day on Wednesday, the S&P 500 was above its 50-day moving average, but then more drama crept into the market, particularly with the problems that were going on with uh The budget negotiations in Washington, D.C. overnight on Wednesday, the international markets had a really bad time. And on Thursday, all that volatility came back in, and the S&P 500 and most major indexes actually ended up breaking down below their 100-day moving average. And that included even the emerging markets, which previously had been holding support at the 50-day moving average. From a volatility standpoint, things didn't look good but I still felt strongly that we were in this bull market and that the long-term trend was being held. And so on Thursday, I put out an additional blog post and I didn't purchase anything on Thursday, but I put out a blog post to graphically represent what I mean by this bull market that we're in. And I showed a chart that took the S&P 500 back to February of 2016. That's when oil bottomed out at $28 a barrel And I show the 200-day moving average, show a couple moving averages in there, but I specifically showed the upward trend of the 200-day moving average, how it's been moving consistently on a sustainable angle up and to the right, and how even with all the volatility that's crept in over the past couple weeks, we were still above that 200-day moving average. And I postulated that when the markets opened up on Friday, we would bounce off that 200-day moving average. That was my worst case scenario that I mentioned in the previous week. Now, I have no idea if when the market's open tomorrow on Monday, if volatility will creep back in and will drop below that 200-day moving average, because like I say, these charts don't allow you to predict the future, they simply show you where you are. And at this current time, the trend of the 200-day moving average remains intact. I do think that's going to happen, and that's why I remain positive and upbeat, and why I believe that it's prudent to buy these dips. So what do you buy? Well, right now, virtually everything is cheaper today than it was last month or two months ago, or in some cases, many stocks are well below their 200-day moving average. And again, to me, that's a buying opportunity, not a time to panic. And so because everything is on sale, I think that all the major indexes, the large caps, the small caps, the internationals, the technology funds, the healthcare funds, I mentioned buying into large quality indexes or sectors because those of you that are in a 401k plan, that's all you really can choose from, right? You can buy a small cap fund or a large cap fund or maybe an international fund. Well, right now, I think they're all on sale, and I think it's prudent to maybe buy some of those. For those of you that are looking at individual stocks, well, for the most part, they're all on sale as well. To give you an idea of quality stocks that are on sale, let me just quickly here run through a list of the 20 largest companies in America which are currently trading below their 200-day moving average. Apple, J&J, ExxonMobil, at and Chevron, Procter & Gamble, Pfizer, Oracle, Coca-Cola, Comcast, Dow DuPont, Pepsi, Philip Morris, Walmart, Merck, IBM, General Electric, Amgen, Altria, Medtronics, several of those stocks are things that i already own what it means when a stock is below its 200 day moving average it's similar to dollar cost averaging except that you're buying in all at one time and you're actually getting at a lower price now again i want to emphasize here i have no idea if these stocks could go lower these are quality large cap american companies that over the long run sometime in the future they will appreciate they will be worth more in the future than they are today. Now, is that future in a month or six months or 18 months? I can't predict that, but I can feel pretty confident that these large cap stocks that are currently being sold on a panic, that they'll be worth more at some point in the future. Now, for those of you that want to buy on strength rather than on weakness, I've been talking to you about the stocks that are actually performing rather poorly through this correction because they're below their 200-day moving average. So what stocks are showing a great amount of strength and resilience during this pullback? Well, let me give you the top 15 large Fortune 500 U.S. companies which have had among the best performance over the last week. And these these are stocks where the price is above their 20-day moving average. So these are some high performers, and they include AV, that's a pharmaceutical company. NVIDIA, that's a company that's been on fire for a long time now. That's a specialty uh, semiconductor company Big time involved in robotics and blockchain and autonomous cars and just about everything else. It's hot right now. So it's no surprise that that company's been holding up. Bristol-Myers Squibb, pharmaceutical company. Lockheed Martin, defense. Raytheon, defense. Northrop Grumman, that's a defense company. CME Group, that's a financial investment company. Estee Lauder, obviously a cosmetics company. That gets back into the beauty trade that I talked about some time ago. eBay Electronic Arts. HCA Healthcare, Sempra Energy, Edwards Life Science, Kellogg's, and Dr. Pepper. Now you might notice a trend there. Three of those companies were all in the aerospace defense sector. And with the infrastructure bill that passed this week, the defense sector is likely to do really well. Healthcare's in there. technology's in there. So what should you do? Should you buy the high performers that have held up well over the past two weeks? Or should you buy some of the laggards which have dropped the most, which will bounce up the highest when it comes back to regression to the mean? Well, you have to think about that and see what is best for you and your style of trading and your risk tolerance. As for me, well, I've got a longer watch list than I do cash reserves. But I will be watching this market closely this week, and if I make any purchases, I'll be sure and blog about it over at investablewealth.com. Until then, as always, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.